Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. The University of California Board of Regents has elected its first black president in its 152-year history. Former UC Irvine Chancellor Michael Drake will lead the 10-campus system that serves some 280,000 students. At a board meeting yesterday, Drake addressed challenges those campuses face from the pandemic to climate change. We have the yawning wounds of social injustice that we see in so many ways that really tears at the fabric of our lives. We have the long-term threats of environmental degradation and climate change that must be addressed if we're going to continue as a species. Drake is a physician who retired from his role as president of Ohio State last month. The Board of Regents unanimously approved his appointment. He starts next month when current UC President Janet Napolitano steps down. At colleges and universities all across the state, there is a scramble to meet new federal guidelines for the coming fall semester. Those guidelines require international students to take at least a portion of their classes in person. As KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb reports, the rules are proving to be a challenge for students and school administrators alike during the pandemic. International students make up a major part of enrollment in California. The UC system, for example, had north of 41,000 overseas students last academic year alone. At USC and Los Angeles, 25% of the student body is international. And so these federal guidelines announced by Immigration and Customs Enforcement this week are putting universities in a really tough spot. It's just hard because it, it forces another set of challenges for students in a way that no one really anticipated. That's Gordon Stables. He heads up the USC Annenberg School for Journalism. His department announced this week that it plans to offer at least 50 hybrid courses, both online and in person, to help international students meet the new federal standards. That decision comes just a week after USC as a whole announced it wanted to go mostly online this fall. Now, despite the accommodations, some international students have already gone back home because of COVID-19 and now just can't justify returning full time. That includes Jake Jung, a South Korean national studying business at USC. He says he's been paying for an apartment in L.A. that he's not living in. I'm planning on just entering the U.S. temporarily, maybe for like a week or two, and then move all my stuff into storage and return to Korea because there's no other option for me to stay. And it's not just this semester's course load that's affected. This is going to be pretty impactful for me getting a career in the United States. Jenny Zhang is a Canadian national who's studying computer science at USC. For seniors who who want to apply for the work visas, you need to be in the U.S. for at least one year, meaning that if you won't be here next semester, you won't be able to legally get a job on a visa. Zhang says she's going to be forced to explore other options unless the university makes some changes. 
The ICE guidelines say that if a school is not offering in-person classes, students must either transfer or move back home to their nation of origin. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Los Angeles. L.A. County's top doctor is worried that the fight against the coronavirus could jeopardize decades of hard-won gains in the battle against tuberculosis. KPCC's Jackie Fortier has more. Like the coronavirus, tuberculosis is spread through the air. And like the coronavirus, contact tracing is key to stopping the spread. That's when health workers follow up with people who test positive and their contacts to help them quarantine or get health care. L.A. County has reassigned all of its contact tracers to COVID-19. We've looked to our tuberculosis and our sexually transmitted disease program because they've got these nurses and doctors and investigators and we've pulled them in. That's Dr. Jeffrey Gunzenhauser, the county's chief medical officer. He says that reassigning contact tracers will make it much harder to contain the spread if there is a TB outbreak. Tuberculosis, we had gotten down to just about 500 cases a few years ago. We are concerned we're going to see an an additional increase this year. Tuberculosis is a particular problem. About 10% of people infected with that pass away. In 2018, California had the third highest TB rate in the nation. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Depending on where in California you live, it may be harder to get a COVID-19 test than it was just a few weeks ago. CAP Radio's Sammy Kayola looks at why this is happening and what can be done about it. Nicole Stefko ran an essential errand last month, taking her sick Pitbull mix Charlie to the vet. A few days later, she got an email from the vet's office saying that she might have been exposed to COVID at the appointment. We would have both liked to have been tested just out of precaution. Stefko is referring to herself and her wife, who is immune compromised due to a heart condition. But when they tried to get screened through CVS, Project Baseline, and their own doctors, they were turned away. Michelle Gibbons with the County Health Executives Association of California says testing demand is high right now. If you're in a jurisdiction where you have a high number of cases, I think folks are going to want or be eager to get testing. But some counties still don't have enough lab space or test kits or funding to keep up. To the extent that there's supply chain issues, that is something that we're going to need state and the state may even need federal help to help support that. Sacramento had to close five of its testing sites because they're running out of the fluid needed to transport samples to the lab. Because of increased demand, some counties have had to limit who they test and deal with longer wait times for results. Stefko says that when she and her wife couldn't get tested, they decided to self-quarantine for a while just to be safe. This was the first time I've ever, throughout this whole ordeal, been contacted by somebody where I had possibly been directly exposed and to not be able to get a test was really frustrating. Doctors recommend staying at home for 14 days if you think you've been exposed to COVID-19, even if you don't have symptoms. For The California Report, I'm Sammy Kayula in Sacramento. The chronic shortages we've been talking about this morning are creating a lot of anxiety right now. A new poll by the California Healthcare Foundation shows that more than three quarters of Californians are worried that they or a family member will get COVID-19. The big takeaway for me here is Californians are anxious. Uh, they're anxious about contracting the virus and they're anxious about the pace of reopening. That's the foundation's Christoph Stromakis, who also points out the level of concern about exposure varies based on the race and profession of the respondents. We asked Californians, are you leaving home to go to work right now? And about four in 10 said, yes, they were. And of those, many were Latino. And in fact, more than eight out of 10 Latinos said they're at least somewhat concerned 
they're going to bring the virus with them from work. Stremicus says non-white Californians also feel significantly less confident that they can get good health care if they get sick. And less than 20 percent of all respondents think the state's health system could support another surge. Imperial County has the highest rate of cases, and with a shortage of ICU beds there, some patients have had to wait for a bed as long as three days. That's prompted officials to transfer hundreds of patients to facilities outside the county. Earlier, we spoke with CalMatters reporter Ana Ibarra, who's been tracking this story. I started by asking her what she knows about where all those people are being transferred for treatment. The patients there have been sent really all over California. Many have been sent to the Bay Area. Some have been sent to this north um, as Sacramento. At the beginning, many were being transferred mostly to the surrounding counties, so Riverside, San Bernardino, San Diego. So really anywhere that is available or that have beds available to take Imperial County patients. Imperial County, you know, is is looking everywhere. And what has been the reaction from officials in those other counties where these patients from Imperial County are going? Are they worried about their own systems being overwhelmed? Yeah, so they've been very clear that they take the patients um, they they can can, uh, afford to take. I I did speak to some hospital officials, though, where it does prompt the question, you know, if I take a um, an Imperial County patient, will I have enough space for patients in, in our own community? So th- mm-hmm. that question is being asked. You know, another thing that I found really striking about your reporting was looking at places that are already close to saturated. So a place that comes to mind is actually right here in the Bay Area, where there's a major outbreak at San Quentin State Prison in Marin County. I'm just wondering, you know, how are you seeing outbreaks like that put pressure on local hospital systems, say UCSF. Right. So, yes, in San Quentin, the outbreak there has sent um, the most recent number, you know, 62 patients from San Quentin have gone to Bay Area hospitals. The uh, local hospital there is Marin General, and usually patients are taken from San Quentin, stabilized in Marin General, and then transfer to to hospitals outside the county. So yes, that makes it tougher uh, when you have, you know, the Bay Area dealing with their own outbreak, then it makes it tougher for them to take patients from Imperial County. I think it's important to note that, you know, even if you do have a physical bed uh, at a hospital, if you do not have the staff to tend to that bed, you can't really use it. So that's also another piece to take into account when we look at the number of hospital and number of ICU beds available. All right. Cal Matters reporter Ana Ibarra, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that's the California Report for this Wednesday, July 8th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, no sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hint, water with a touch of true fruit flavor. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. 
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.